0: Got to do now part, the Australian culture test. Three simple questions, three dancers, and you go through that doorway. The greatest Yes, good morning. This is the greatest little country in the world, 3CR Showreel. We're uh, looking at the Australian film industry and today we've got some very tasty interviews. One is with Damien Powers who's just Damien Power who's just per- uh, finished a film called uh, Killing Ground which is going to be on at Nova. November, uh, sorry, August the 24th, I don't know what's uh, happened to me, it's spring, it's starting to be spring outside and I've begun to sprung in my head, August the 24th, very soon, just around the corner, uh, it's a, a very compelling film, so we got, I did a little bit of a chat with Damien, and after that we're going to talk to some guys who have made a short called Knife Salesman, the Knife Salesman, very creepy, but it's been... Uh, awarded the honour of uh, being uh, played as part of the... Venice Film Festival, the Orizonte Short Film Festival Prize, which runs in parallel to the uh, main competition, which starts in September. Only one of 12 films around the world that's going to be shown. So uh, we'll have a chat with them afterwards, but we better hurry along. Now, Damien Power interview, I have to warn you, there's a slightly uh, change in quality. Uh, I had some problem, diabolical problem with the uh, telephone line, so... Uh, just bear with uh, the sound quality change because the information 's wonderful, and you really should go and see a rather compelling film a killing ground well, congratulations on your film it 's pretty interesting film on a, on a whole lot of levels it 's really actually like going backwards in time this film i know yeah. it 's a, a scare film. A, a new couple go off into the bush, and then all these terrifying things happen but uh, you 're actually doing a sort of a subtle twist on what has been a, a long-term uh, discussion about uh, Australian, white Australians, confronting the bush. But the bush isn't as uh, terrifying in this version as the people, as, uh, say, in walk, about where the yeah. environment is uh, absolutely scarifying. But this is different, isn't it?
1: Yeah, that's right. I think um, you're right. You know, we've all seen stories where people go to the woods bad things happen um, so the question is what can you bring to the table that's new and two things I was trying with this film was I guess firstly um, to make it feel as real as possible um, so that there was a sense of realism not in, only in the way that the story elements were treated um, but also in terms of the characters, their characterization, the kind of choices they make along that way so there was that but there was also an idea to open the film in a non-linear way. So, I mean, usually you watch a survival thriller and it's relentlessly linear. That's a good reason you get sewn into that character's journey. But I wanted to try something different with this so that we see not only the protagonists, the people who arrive in this clearing and find a tent, but we see something of the lives of the campers, the people that belong to the tent. Um, and we also see two guys who turn out to be um, the antagonists and we see them at home before we really understand who they really are. Yeah. Um, and I think that what I was hoping was that that makes the audience a little more active in the storytelling through the first part of the film. You know, you're watching the film and you're trying to piece it together. You know, what is the relationship between these people? How come those people can't see those people? When, when are we? Um, and you know, there are the clues drop, and uh, and people work it out. And I, but I think there is it creates this underlying tension of when will these people come together? Yeah, they will. Um, it's just a matter of when and how.
0: I was going to take my hat off to you for the incredibly fantastic. Uh, uh, realistic dialogue, the ability to be able to transfer that Australian cliche social melding, conversational that you've got going and the timing, really good
1: Ah, thank you, thanks very much um, Yeah, and it was really important for me to, that those things feel real, that you know, um Sam and Ian, the protagonists feel like people that you might know, um, people that could be friends of yours or and that um you know Chuck and German the antagonists feel like real people, not cartoonish villains,
0: yeah, well, you succeed but uh, and now and that business about uh, the past and the present being melded together in your narrative beautifully done,
1: so yeah, look, I think um part of the reason I Um, use that structure is that the film deals with this idea of cycles of violence. You know, there's a reference to a past massacre of Indigenous people in the story, and I think there's a sense that, um, you know, this violence happened 200 years ago, it happened last week, it's happening right now, and it could happen tomorrow. Um, So I think that the structure um, reinforces that idea with this feeling of timelessness.
0: Well, it's interesting that you've chosen uh, Aaron uh, Pedersen to be one of the, uh, well, the primary psychopath, I'll say. Uh, How does that work? Because, I mean, of course, he's identifiably Aboriginal. So that's quite interesting, isn't it?
1: Yeah, that's right. Look, the character of German wasn't written as an Indigenous character. um, But the reference to the past massacre was in the script. Um, but when it came to casting it, I wanted to. I felt it was important that whoever played that character um, have enough strength and charisma to be able to mentor a young man into murder. Yes. And uh, I feel like Aaron Pedersen is a national treasure. He's a great actor, and certainly has that kind of charisma. And when we sent it to him, I felt there's you know he won't want to do this because he always plays cops. And I think that was one of the reasons why he did want to do it, because, you know, because he never gets offered those roles. Um, And when he was doing it, he said to me that um, he felt his character had been uh, in some way poisoned by this past massacre and history of the place. And this idea really kind of informed us when we approached making the film and, um, the sense of the place uh, as a character in the film and this idea of this resonance of this past crime.
0: Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Um, I, I The other film that... Uh, I actually woke up this morning and I was thinking two things. You know, the thing about uh, Walkabout and how there is a difference. You, you've actually changed uh, the sensibility because... Uh, I lived in the bush for a while, and I had this profound yeah. sense of sadness that uh, this awful thing could happen in such a wonderful place. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, the the bush is like that in your film. That's
1: right, and I think um, I think that's one of the things. Uh, one of the things I love about um, uh, Leah Leah's score is that um, it's not a traditional. Thriller score, but actually has this kind of uh, level of melancholy and regret in in it, and um, that was something that I I feel came out of the landscape um, as much as the characters and and um,
0: and the story. Yeah, it's very. And the other film that I had a sort of gave me a resonance to was Nocturnal Animals that oh, yeah, there's sure. a really that whole sequence uh, there is a certain uh, visualization uh that uh, has is similar in your film
1: yeah and I think um I mean I, I remember watching that and we'd obviously i think we'd shot and killing ground by that time and I watched that film and thought oh I'll, <laughs> we'll see where this goes um but I think what it shares with killing ground is that feeling of uh, Um, danger and that this could, this kind of violence in real life can come out of nowhere and just completely blindside you. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely a resonance
0: there. Is there, because you wrote this as well as directed it, and there's some, you know, you've got a deft hand at uh, the direction and the uh, spinning of the yarn and developing the characters, great actors. Uh, But there are also some underlying messages in this where the cops are absolutely of no value in the end. (laughs) And there was this very strong sense I had of, uh, and since you're the writer, a a fairly strong sense of you're on your own and and don't, uh, don't make decisions based on rules in a situation like this.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I feel like the whole film is um, applying this pressure um, to the characters and um, we see how it affects their choices. Yeah. Um, I mean, I firmly believe that one of the worst aspects of violence is the way um, it reduces our choice. So in the face of violence, what can you do? You You can run, you can fight, or you can freeze. Mm. There's actually nothing else that you can do. Um, And these are all really instinctive animal responses. So one of the the great cruelties of violence is that it reduces you to an animal. It dehumanizes us, takes away from us the very thing that makes us human, which is voice. And I think I've tried to show that on a macro level within scenes, um, but also uh, across the whole story where we see the protagonist family and their choices become increasingly narrow, um, their options decrease, and you know, then we see them have to make decisions under an intense kind of pressure. And so, I mean, I see it more rather than a traditional um, journey where characters grow and change. Really, they are they are forced to reckon. With themselves, they discover who they truly are. Reveal themselves. Again, I guess coming back to my idea of trying to make it feel as real as possible is that, you know, as a writer, while I was writing this, I would constantly ask myself, what would I do in this situation? Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, movies teach us that we can be heroes, that we can find from somewhere um, this reserve of strength we never knew that we had. I'm not so sure that life works like that.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's I'd, right. like to think,
1: I'd like to think that I would be able to protect my family if we were in danger, but um, maybe not. So that was a kind of that was the kind of thinking that I brought to the writing, I guess.
0: It's uh, done very well in America, hasn't it?
1: Yeah. So I mean, it, um, we had our um, international premiere at Sundance this year, and. Um, the film was received really well. So, you know, we sold out screenings. They put on an extra screening. We had buzz. We had great reviews. Um, I was able to sign um, with an agent and manager in the States while I was over there. I was able to quit my day job. By hey. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, look, the film did well. We sold to IFC Midnight. It's actually come out um, in the U.S. Uh, just this um, past week.
0: My name's Molly Reynolds and I make documentaries like Another Country and I support 3CR because it is a radio station that once you start listening to, you can't stop. And you're on Showreel with Annie. And as I said, I apologise for the quality change. It, the information's really interesting. That was Damien Power. Of his film is Killing Ground, and it starts at the Nova on the 24th of August. It's really worth seeing. It's a rollicking yarn, but it's also a very tasty, well-put-together piece of filming. Uh, the next uh, little interview we've got today is with uh, Michael Leonard and Jamie Helmer. I said that uh, Michael and Jamie have uh, hit the big time in a, in a sense, Their short film, The Knife Salesman, uh, a short, has been selected to be part of the Orizonte Short Film Prize in the upcoming Venice uh, Film Festival starts in September. Uh, Let's hear what they've got to say and how they got into this madcap uh, world of filmmaking. What is your film?
2: Uh, it's 10 minutes long.
0: It's 10 minutes long. Mm. And uh, as I was just saying, it's actually quite a, a freakish uh, concept, of the uh, knife salesman coming into your kitchen. It's almost an oldie worldly idea.
2: Yeah, that was the point. Um, we kind of wanted to make something that felt timeless. Um, so if you look at the production design of the film, everything's been... Um, kind of sourced around that kind of early 90s sort of period and there's no cell phones or anything like that kind of kicking around and just the idea of having a traveling salesman is a very kind of like old and traditional idea and the film's about traditional gender roles and how we actually haven't particularly progressed too much yeah. since those sorts of times
0: cuz you wrote it didn't you Michael yeah yeah you didn't just you directed it and but it comes from a sequence from a a feature film that you were expecting to make.
2: Yeah, that we are expecting to make, Um, especially now with the news of Venice. uh, A lot of doors have kind of opened up for us in regards to moving forward in our career. Um, But yeah, uh, basically Jamie had an idea for a film that I kind of jumped onto when we started collaborating with each other about four years ago. And then I wrote the feature for it and we wanted to create a proof of concept Um, for the feature film so we took that scene that our lead actress Donna Milton actually kind of said that's the one you should do because it's a standalone short and it's actually going to work really well Um, and yeah we put that together that way
0: so Jamie it was your idea
2: Um, look I've been watching a bunch of old um,
3: sort of TV stuff from the 40s and 50s and uh, I think it was the first episode of Alfred Hitchcock Presents called Revenge um, and it's this great little story uh, a couple going down the coast. She's been a bit traumatised by a dance accident and she's very fragile and paranoid and she basically, yeah, sort of um, has an incident where she feels like she's being assaulted by a man and she gets suspicious, etc. And it's has got this great... I won't sort of lay the whole thing out, but um, it had this great, tight little um, uh, story to it and I thought transposing it to an Australian coastal environment would be really great. Michael grew up down... Um, in Ocean Grove, so we just it just all the pieces fit, and we thought well let's roll with it. He sort of took his experiences and mapped it over the over the story and expanded it and it's obviously unrecognizable now, but the just that the bones of it were from that
0: that, I mean, that idea mm. uh, I mean you're credited with the, uh, production, the production design, design yeah, yeah. Uh, but obviously the creation of uh, this film is uh, about uh, the emotional state. That these people are in, and films very good at uh, divulging emotion. Is, yeah, is that what you're? Finding? Oh, for
3: sure. I mean, it's just it's again, as, um, as Mike said, that it's these gender roles that they're playing out. Um, they're very knowingly doing it. I mean, the the knife salesman character, he he knows he's you know sort of being suggestive, and he knows he's playing this playing this kind of. Uh, Dominant game. She knows he's doing it, and she's resisting it. But at the same time, they still succumb to it. You know, it still plays out, and they, you know, they are affected in the way that people have always been affected by that sort of. So, so
0: it's like a play on uh, uh, subdued violence and erotica,
2: basically. Yeah, yeah that's the short film. Um, the feature obviously goes into much broader spectrum. But as with the short film, I mean, we just wanted to create something that would at least hit on one of our major themes, which is gender and gender roles in Australia and kind of like the Western world and then um, also find a very um, concise and potent way to do that and, yeah, using those ideas of um, um, erotica um, definitely worked.
0: Yeah, yeah. And This film has been chosen, uh, one of 12, to be part of the Venice... Film festival, you're in the Parallel Orizonti yep. film section. Mm-hmm. Can you explain that to me?
2: Yeah, cool. So there's um, two sections. So there's the um, the official selection. So that's got all your biggies like Warwick Thornton's new film, George Clooney's new film, and Aronofsky's that kind of thing. Um, and then there's the uh, Orizonti, which is translates to um, horizons, I think in English. Um, and that's where they find films from throughout the world that um are using cinematic language in a different way and um kind of exciting different things from different places and the short film competition falls into that as well so um i don't think there's a official competition for the horizon section but with the short films um i believe there's a a winner at the end or something like
0: yeah, that. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's that's right. And I mean if there's only 12 in the entire world that have been chosen, you must be feeling pretty special.
2: It's
3: uh yeah, it's it's a big deal. It's definitely uh yeah, it's not lost on us. It's, yeah. um it'll be it'll be, be more real when we're there, but certainly um yeah, it's it's been a
2: very pleasant surprise.
0: You have to put your name up, don't you?
2: Yeah, um there's a selector called um uh, Paulo who comes he's Basically travels around the um, Australasian area, selecting films from different countries to put towards the other selectors at Venice. And um, he comes down to Australia it, once every year. He ended up being able to see our film and really enjoyed it, and then pushed it on to Enrico Venucci, who is the short selector. And he really liked it as well, and then we rolled from Goes from, from there. there. Yep.
0: Yeah, well, that's pretty impressive. Uh, you said that you started collaborating four years ago. What, what's your film background?
3: Um, Well, I'm actually from the uh, West Coast, from Perth, and I when I moved over, started working at the same place as Mikey, which is um, Cinema Nova, and uh, we immediately just hit it off because we're both big film nerds. And um, I'd just completed a post-grad film, like a featurette called uh, Fugue, and Mikey really liked it. And he was working this... um, really great DIY uh, film festival called Beg, Scream and Shout. So he's like, hey, can I screen your film? I'm like, of course, it would be great. So we just sort of bonded over that and the more we hung out and talked, we thought, well, you know, this is probably something we should collaborate on it just kind of naturally flowed into that. um, Well,
0: you know, because stepping over the line from being an observer, enjoying it, uh, the various... Uh, other, you know, like exhibition and supporting and doing that sort of stuff, but stepping over the line into actually being creators, that's a big deal.
3: Yeah, I mean, we, we both came at it from different angles. I mean, um, Mikey's just sort of been uh, experimenting with a lot of, yeah, um, just making stuff straight off the bat, just, you know, getting friends together and making some pretty way out stuff, which um, some of his early works, which are great. Um and so I guess we we're both we we're both already making things, respectively.
0: You'd um, always considered yourself as makers, not just observers.
2: Yeah, for a well for a, for a while anyway. I certainly before like we met. futile attempts, kind of like in the early twenties, and then you, you finally knocked something together. I think Jamie was putting stuff together in a more abstract sort of way, and then went to university and was able to kind of like cobble together, you know, really concise narrative pieces. and... Basically, while he was doing that, I was just playing around with my friends until I decided to kind of start doing that on my own as well. And then... Throwing glitter and blood on lots of things. Throwing lots of glitter and blood on lots of things.
0: No, that's a great thing, isn't it? Because uh, your impressionistic and experimental style with understanding narrative is actually the key, isn't it?
2: Mm, uh, but it's funny that you... I think me and Jamie actually... Jamie's the more... Um, atmospheric and um, oh, well, more go. detailed one and I'm just like structure through and through sort of thing Oh right, well, mm. so
0: why did you challenge did you challenge yourself the other I just way? didn't know
2: what I was doing so I was just grabbing a, like literally grabbing friends, grabbing a camera finding people how to, who knew how to work things and I'd be like well let's just see if this works, it's just like literally throwing a whole bunch of stuff at the wall and whatever sticks and you're like oh that works so we'll keep doing it that way and then well that obviously didn't work so we won't do that again but then having like beg, scream and shout which is with the screening nights that I was putting on, even though a lot of the stuff wouldn't get played in festivals, we were still able to kind of show it and screen it, and that's important to kind of like make you move on to the next thing as well. So everyone was kind of getting involved in that and feeling pretty happy about themselves.
0: So where did you get to before the the knife salesman that allowed you to create something that other people wanted to take to the Venice Film Festival?
3: Um, Well, I'd written a short... Uh, which we created together. Uh, I directed it and wrote it and um, Mikey produced it as opposed to the Knife Salesman where we were co-directing and producing production design. It's a slightly different dynamic. Um, but that was how we thought, well, let's step up. Let's actually make something professional. Let's really sort of uh, you know, make a go of it. And you know, we made a really nice piece of work. Um, we realized some of the elements of our working relationship in terms of collaborating organizationally might not have worked as well. But we just went, okay, cool. We see where we do work together. Let's change it a little bit, which we did for the um, knife salesman. And it all locked in. And I think we just learned from the things that didn't work, just like Mike was saying with the DIY stuff. We just saw what worked, kept doing it, saw what didn't work, changed it, and um, ended up just refining it and coming up, coming out up with a you know really nice refined piece, I think.
0: And you and you found a good editor and some someone yeah. great doing yeah. the sound. Well,
2: that's the thing. Um, during during the process of Beg, scream, shout, definitely, and you know, because I was making a film a year at least, I was able to just slowly build this kind of group of collaborators. So by the time that Jamie and I got together, because um, Jamie probably didn't have as many coming over from Perth, um, we kind of just had this little community ready to go. So. When we started that, we got our editor, Greg Cooper, who is incredible. Um, our sound designer, Sean Crowley, kind of just jumped on board at that point as well, um, with people doing music like Jesse Warren. Um, we would found, like, really good photographers and stuff like that, and so Ryan Alexander Lloyd came on for the first one, and then he knew Giovanni, who's um, the cinematographer that we use now and a great friend, and he shot The Knife Salesman, and he's really incredible. Um, but yeah, the whole community just kind of grew and now we have this really strong team of collaborators and people with gear like Tom Savage. I mean, he worked on earlier stuff that I did when he was just starting out and now like his company's quite large and he's still kind of, you know, is very generous in, um, hiring us gear, and the people that he uses are super wonderful as well, which makes our shoots complete dreams.
0: Mm. Well, that's basically it, isn't it? Um, The practicality plus the dreamscape. Mm. Being able to uh, make those both both those elements work
2: yeah well when you look at like um directors who have like massive runs like the coen brothers or cronenberg and that kind of like late 80s uh, early 90s period where they're just incredible films and they're coming out like once every two years at least sort of thing you look at the credits of all those films and it's all the same all the names same people. um so it's not just like this one guy's coming out with stuff and he knows that or she knows that um it's that team that's just working together who all know each other's minds. And because now we've kind of had that team rolling for about four years now, um, everyone's super excited to jump onto the next thing and, you know, we're all good friends and we all hang out outside of work and... Well, the Things next like that, the so.
0: next adventure, of course, is the feature. Yeah, basically. Mm. That's exactly <laughs> right. But you're going you're going to have a little uh, hiatus before that because you're going to Venice, aren't you?
2: You sure are. Yeah. yeah, and the idea of going to Venice as well is to basically sell to people the feature film. So Great. you know we'll be in Venice for a little bit, and then hopefully as soon as we get back in the last part of this year, we can really start putting those pieces together in order to be shooting next year. And-
0: so is it a marketplace as well? Yeah. Yeah, cool. Oh, well, good luck.
2: Yeah, well, thank you. We don't know how that stuff works. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, well, you've, you've uh, turned the key. Mm-hmm. You can only go through the door. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> and that's it, the knife salesman. Good luck to them too. Uh, Michael... And Jamie, Michael, Leonard, and Jamie Helmer. Coming up next is uh, published or not? We're going to go out with uh, a hun- ten thousand reasons to rebel. Goodbye from Showreel uh, this week.
2: Whoa, whoa, whoa.